Thanks for listening to iTruths, the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church of Texarkana, Texas. I'm Richard Hornock, the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and the following is a message that I delivered during one of our Sunday morning worship services. I trust that it will be beneficial to your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks again. We are uh, going to talk about what's going on on the other side of the world. What's next for Israel? You know, uh, I heard uh, a uh, talking head on television say, this is the worst thing that has happened to the Jewish people since the Holocaust. You know, the Holocaust, 75 years ago, uh, Hitler had 6 million Jews uh, killed, and... uh, this is the worst thing that has happened, and uh, nobody's taking issue with them. This, this, is, this is really big. It's huge. Uh, I'm not one that just spends my days watching the news, uh, but uh, the little bit that I've seen backs that up. And if you've watched it much, uh, if you haven't watched it much, truth of the matter is what's going on out there is huge. And, you know, as believers... As people who uh, take the Word of God at face value, uh, who understand that the Bible has a lot to say about the future and a lot to say specifically about Israel, uh, what's next? That's what we're going to do today. So I wanted to just take the day just to give you a, a, a little bit of a biblical framework through which to uh, think about what's going on. I've been asked, I'm sure you've been asked, and uh, you've entered into discussions, and, and the truth of the matter is, the, the main thing we need to be looking at is Scripture and how, if it does, how does all this fit in to Scripture? And so that's what we're going to do, and, and what we're going to do, too, is we're going to look at it from the 30,000-foot elevation, okay? The big picture. I mean, I'm not going to sit and talk about what happened on Tuesday or what's going to happen this next Thursday. What we want to do is just get the big framework back in our head. So that's, uh, that's what we're going to do today. I'd encourage you maybe uh, to uh, uh, get the back of the bulletin. You might want to jot down some of this stuff. I'm going to look at a lot of different passages of Scripture, and you might want to jot those down so you can go back and reference them. But uh, that's what our objective is today, just to be people who can speak intelligently and biblically into the situation that, that is out there. Now, before we talk about Israel, because it's important, we actually need to first talk about us. Okay, we're going to talk about what's next for Israel. What's actually next for us? Now, when you go to the Bible, to be honest, what's next for us is the rapture. The 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, John 14, 1 Corinthians 15, all speak of a coming of the Lord Jesus Christ where he comes to get us. We call that the rapture. The rapture is not in the Bible, per se. It is a Latin term, but it basically means a catching away. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, says the Lord himself, there were some people that had died, 
And Paul's writing to him and he says, hey, I don't want you to be upset about these people that died. I don't want you to be ignorant about what their situation was. Here's the deal. The Lord himself's going to descend from heaven. There's going to be a shout with the voice of the archangel. The dead in Christ are going to rise. Then we who are alive and remain are going to be caught up together with them in the air. And thus we'll always be with the Lord from then on. Jesus is coming to get and take away. He's not coming to stay. Lots of passages talk about him coming to stay. The rapture is not that event. It's a, a unique event. That's the next event um, on uh, the calendar for us. Uh, John 14, Jesus, the night before he was crucified, he had the disciples gathered around. They'd had the Last Supper. They kicked Judas out of the room. And so then Jesus really talked transparently with the people. And he said, hey, I'm leaving. And they were all upset. And he said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places. If I go and prepare a dwelling place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He's not coming to stay. He's coming to get. You know, we have adult children. They don't live here. They come home. And what do they um, sometimes do? They come to get. I wish they'd come and get more of their stuff. I'm getting tired of storing their stuff. It's a coming, but it's a coming to get. That's what the rapture is. You know, you've probably seen this before because I've used this graphic many, many times. Basically, here's a timeline, and you can get my uh, drift. You know, I put 2023 right there. But we are living in an age that we call the church age, an era. But sometime soon, we believe, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is going to come and get us. And then that is going to commence this time of tribulation, the time that the book of Revelation goes into great detail when Daniel refers to it, Daniel refers to it as his 70th week or his 70th seven-year period of time. The 69 seven-year periods of time have already been accomplished. They're in Daniel 9. But there is a 70th seven-year period of time. And we believe that that tribulation that Revelation talks about is that. So the next thing that's going to happen is that rapture, and then soon after that, we'll commence the tribulation. And at the end of that tribulation, that seven-year period of time, Jesus will come. And that's the Matthew 24 coming. That's the Ezekiel, uh, or not Ezekiel, but Zechariah uh, 13 coming, where it says every eye is going to see him. And he's going to come, and the Mount of Olives is going to split open, and he's coming to stay. The rapture, he's coming to get. The second coming, he's coming to stay. And that's when he will inaugurate his kingdom. And for those of you that really love the details, this position, this view that I'm teaching here is called pre-tribulational 
because the rapture is at the beginning or before the tribulation and it's premillennial because his coming is at the beginning of the kingdom. So it's premillennial, pre-tribulational. That's what's next for us. But as much as I'd love to keep talking about that, what we're talking about today is what's next for Israel. Now you got to keep that in mind But there is so much that God has to say about Israel. Now, here's something that that you ought to jot down. God has unfinished business with Israel. Okay, now, first of all, who's Israel? Israel is the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. They're called the children of Israel. Those guys lived 4,000 years ago. They were 2,000 B.C. And Israel is the physical descendants of them. You know, you can't find one other family on the face of the earth in all the history of humanity where a family group has stayed together like they have. I was telling the 930 group that, you know, Vicki and I, often talk about how are we going to keep this tribe together you know we got seven people and they all want to scatter and go do their own thing I mean they live down the street from us and they abandon us and go to Washington DC and San Francisco do they not know those places are ungodly here's where you know you're supposed to be you know how are we going to keep this thing together well you know what by God's divine providence Abraham Isaac and Jacob's family stayed together And the Jewish people have stayed together more than any other family you could ever think of. They are the nation of Israel. They basically disappeared from the face of the earth 2,000 years ago, shortly after Jesus was crucified, scattered to the wind, and then miraculously, about 75 years ago, God, through world events brought them back together so that they could have a homeland of their own. And of all places, the powers that be chose the same land that God was talking to Abraham about 4,000 years ago. That's who Israel is. Well, God made many, many promises to Abraham. He made promises to Isaac. He made promises to Jacob. He continued to make promises to to their family, specifically David, Moses, others. God still has unfinished business. Let me tell you this. It would be wrong and it's incorrect, even though it's commonly taught that God doesn't owe Israel those promises. That God instead is going to fulfill them to the church. The church. The church is Jews and Gentiles who together understand and believe who Jesus Christ is. It's the body of Christ. We we are the believers in Jesus Christ. We're not the physical descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but we are the spiritual descendants of them. God made promises to the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob 
that he still needs to fulfill. And even though we're the spiritual descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God still owes the physical descendants some. That's what's next for Israel. What I want to do is give you the four things that God is going to be doing. There's more, but these are four big ones. What's next for Israel? I want you to turn with me to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36. Basically, there's a regathering that is followed by a revival. Ezekiel 36. Now, Ezekiel lived 550 years before Jesus Christ was even born. And God, through Ezekiel, told a lot about the future, particularly Israel's future. And if you know Israel's history, the family's history, you know that many, many times they drifted into sin, they abandoned God, they walked away from the faith, and God pushed them out. God drove them out of the land. They were carried away to Assyria. They were carried away to Babylon. Well, Ezekiel is writing during that time when they're carried away to Babylon. And Ezekiel had a lot of prophecies about what was in store for them. You know, because, hey, we're kicked out of the land. We're not there anymore. What's new for us? Well, Ezekiel also looked way out into the future, a future that is even beyond us. And God gave him information about that. Now, look at this. We're going to just kind of jump right into the, the discussion of what Ezekiel's saying there. But in Ezekiel 36, verse 24, watch this. Verse 24 says, For I, God is speaking, I will take you from the nations. They've been scattered all over the world. You know, after, after Jesus was crucified, Jerusalem was destroyed. The Romans came in. Titus, the great general, Roman general, came in demolished the temple, scattered the Jews all over the place. They literally went to the four corners of the earth, never to be regathered again until what Ezekiel's talking about here. He says, I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then... And you ought to underline, if you've got a real Bible, maybe you want to underline that word then, because it's really important. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. What is he speaking about there? He's talking about a regathering followed by a revival. Now, here's the deal. At the end of this, I'm going to talk about how important it is to not say this is that. But you know what? If there was ever a place where we could probably say this is that, it's the regathering that has been occurring over the last 75 years. 
I mean, for 125 years, they've been talking about how the Jewish people should have their homeland. And, you know, there was some discussion about, well, let's, let's carve out a section of Venezuela for them. And then someone else had the idea, well, what about that area there in Palestine, you know, kind of west of the Jordan River before the, you get to the Mediterranean? How about that? That, that? that was kind of in their histories at one time. Maybe that should be it. That's what they ultimately gave to them. But what happened was about 75 years ago, the Jews were able to start coming back to that and then in 1948 actually formed a state a government, and they have been a nation for the last 75 years. That's never happened in 1950 years. And it started with just a few Jewish folks, and it's continued to grow and grow and grow. And you can talk to most Jewish folks, and one of the things they will tell you, many of them, is they would love to get to go live there in the homeland, even with all that's going on there. That seems to be the regathering that he's referring to. Is it? Time will tell. I mean, nothing would keep God from letting them be scattered again and regathering them in 500 years or 1,000 years, should the Lord tarry. But the truth of the matter is, unfinished business, God is going to regather them. It seems like that maybe is already happening. But notice, they're regathered in unbelief. Because see verse, one, verse 25, what's the first word, at least in my translation? Then I'll cleanse their heart. The revival doesn't occur with them scattered the revival recurs with them gathered. That hasn't happened yet. The, the nation of Israel now, vast majority of them are non-religious. About a third of them are avowed atheists, committed atheists. Uh, only a small uh, percentage, I think 15% by a Gallup poll taken in uh, 2015. Only 15% would say they truly believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, 85%, this is just their tradition. They're the physical seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they're not all in with the God of J Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So there's been a regathering but there's still yet to be a revival. Now, what's maybe going to cause that revival or enable that revival to get going? Here's something else that is in Israel's future. There is a battle, a major battle, that it gets ended by a miracle. Now, you're still in Ezekiel, Turn over to Ezekiel 38. This is where Ezekiel, looking way out in the future, sees a battle, a war, that is commonly called the Battle of Gog and Magog. Now, what in the world is that? 
Well, let me just tell you, what's described here in chapters 38 and 39, it's never occurred before. Uh, there's, there's people that will like to say, well, something like that kind of sort of happened about 350 B.C., or this kind of sort of happened, but none, there's been no event. This is a prophecy that Ezekiel saw in about 550 B.C., and there's never been these circumstances before. Look at this map. Look at this map here. Okay, this is the, far, the Middle East. And if we were to take the time to read through this passage and put their name on their place, this is what we'd get. Now, first thing you got to remember, Gog is the name of a man or the title of a leader. Gog is the leader, and Magog is his land, the land he rules. But in this battle, all these nations aligned together to do battle with Israel, the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This battle of Gog, the battle of Magog and Gog that Gog led with all the help of all these nations is all against Israel. And if we were to take the time to read through the passage we'd find out that God miraculously delivers Israel. Literally, the skies fall in, and Israel is saved. And you get to the end of chapter 39, the end of chapter 39, it says, I did all of this so the world would know that I'm God. Now, let me just show you the map here. We don't really know these nations by that label. But look at this. If we were to give them their names that they got today in 2023, here's the names. You got Russia. You got Turkey. You got Libya. You got Sudan. You got Iran. And you got all the stands, you know, Afghanistan, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, all them. They're all in this area. Now, let's just back it up. Ezekiel said... All of these nations are going to come together, coalesce together, led by Gog, and fight against Israel. And if we were to give them the same today, it'd be these nations. Now, it really does not take a lot of creative imagination to sit and say, you know, I could see, you know, Iran and Russia and the Stans and Turkey and Libya and Sudan coming together to fight against Israel. You know, even in the thing that's happening right now, though many are not wanting to say it real clearly, it's pretty much common knowledge that most of the, if not all, of the funding for Hamas and Hezbollah is coming from Iran. And we've always known that they've had a pretty tight relationship, Iran and Russia, and things like that, you know, it just is going. So is this that? I don't know. It's above my pay grade. All I know is this is out in Israel's future. It's never happened before. You know, one of the things that's really kind of fascinating about this one, it's who's not mentioned. 
Now, we always focus in on who is mentioned. Who's not mentioned? Look at this slide. Iraq's not mentioned. Egypt's not mentioned. Europe's not mentioned. The U.S. isn't mentioned. It's just these white groups that are mentioned. Could it be that this is like a a precursor battle before the entire world joins against Israel, as will ultimately happen at the Battle of Armageddon, which happens at the end of the tribulation. Here's, let me show you something else that's kind of fascinating to think about. Just think about the overall flow of the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36 and 37, we've already seen it here. Israel is basically regathered and resurrected. We didn't take the time to look at it. Ezekiel 37 is that really cool vision of all the bones coming back together. You know, they, someone smart, you know, came up with some cool songs about the dry bones, you know, all that stuff. Um, that's what 36 and 37 are all about. Then 38 and 39 are all about this huge battle where for no reason... This eight-nation coalition comes together and battles against Israel, but at the end of it, God miraculously saves them. And then what happens when you get to chapter 40 to the end of the book? Ezekiel is describing this temple that doesn't exist, that never has existed, but someday will exist in what we, I believe would be a kingdom. So it kind of makes sense, if you will, to sit and think about some kind of a flow like this. We've already talked about us. What's for us? Well, we think there's a rapture that's going to get us out of this place before that tribulation starts, and then Christ is going to come back. Could it be that this battle occurs even before the rapture, or could it be that it occurs between the rapture and the start of the tribulation? Would it be better to put this battle of Gog and Magog before the tribulation? You say, well, wait a minute. I thought the book of Revelation, boy, some of you guys are really smart. I thought the book of Revelation in Revelation chapter 20 talks about Gog and Magog being at the end of the kingdom. Well, that's true. But the circumstances of that battle that's described in Revelation chapter 20 about Satan being released and, you know, getting to go around and round up everybody to fight against Jesus in the very last battle, that's called Gog and Magog. But maybe that's kind of like just this label that God, the Holy Spirit, inspired John to use to describe this last battle because it's so similar to the first battle that kicked it all off. You know, everybody talks about Waterloo, and a lot of times they're not talking about Napoleon. You know, we use that kind of figure of speech. It could be that that, this is Gog and Magog 1, and that's Gog and Magog 2.0. Some people say, well, you know, there's the Battle of Armageddon there. You know, at the end of the tribulation, maybe this thing's that. If it was the Battle of Armageddon, I think John would have said and called it the Gog, Battle of Gog and Magog, because he certainly did 
about the kingdom, one at the end of the kingdom, I think there is very good reason to think that this battle that we're talking about could happen at any time. In fact, it could happen before any kind of a rapture. It could happen, and it still be another five or 600 years before there's a rapture. What's next for Israel? A regathering and a revival. But there's a gap between the, revi- the regathering and the revival. What also is next for Israel? There's this battle, this incredible battle that is going to be ended miraculously because God wants to send a message to the world that he's in charge. Does this battle happen in between the regathering and the revival? I don't know. Maybe this battle is what God uses to get those regathered people to finally wake up and realize there's a God in heaven who has been using them for millenniums to bring about his son, the gospel, the salvation through him. What else? Now, I'm not going to take the time to even uh, give it, but I'll just give you two more things up here. Book of Daniel talks about how out in their future, someday is that 70th week, that 70th seven-year period of time that is going to start with a covenant that an antichrist or an imposter starts with them, but he breaks it halfway through. But it's a covenant that gives them safety and security. That's out there in the future for them. How does that fit in? Perhaps that fits in because there's this regathering and then there's this battle which leads to a revival, but this battle makes it very clear these people need to be protected. Who's going to protect Israel? Who's going to keep them from always getting lamb-blasted? Well, Some world leader steps up and says, I've got a solution. Let's make a covenant for them. Let's let's have a peace treaty, a seven-year peace treaty, a ceasefire for seven years. Perhaps that's all part of it. And then ultimately, they still have a kingdom promised to them. They still have a utopia promised to them that is ruled by a physical, literal son of David. What did God tell David in 2 Samuel chapter 11? Or no, yes, no, 2 Samuel 7, excuse me. 2 Samuel 7, God said, you will never lack a son to sit on the throne. What was Jesus's biggest claim to be in the Messiah? I'm the son of David. Israel still is owed a kingdom led by a king. So, what's ahead for Israel? What's next for Israel? There's four things that are right there. As we sit and think, and as we we take the the 30,000-foot view, 
One of the things we need to be sitting and saying is God has promised that he's going to regather those people and ultimately bring them to faith. Because right now they're not in the faith. Uh, There's a huge battle that is out there for them. You know, and it could be, it could be that this is like a little preamble of it. No, there's not eight nations that are funding Hezbollah and Hamas. But there's one that's pretty significant, and it wouldn't take a lot of creativity to see how other nations could get banned on it. Particularly even this week, because according to the news, Israel's preparing for a ground war into Gaza. Uh, Could this be the start of it? Could be. Is it? Time will tell. All we know is that something like this will happen. And actually, there hasn't been too many things that have happened that are like this that puts us in that position and saying, huh, I wonder if this is really going to happen. Now, just before I wrap it all up, let me back off a little bit here. Because I think there's some really significant things that, that we need to remember. You may not have fully tracked with all of this. Some of you guys are really into prophecy, and so you, you know, you're wondering, why didn't he talk about that and that and this and the other things? And, you know, it's because I'm supposed to quit by noon. That's why. Okay? Because I'd love to talk about those things. I would have loved to spend a lot more time studying about all those things. Uh, but there are, I think, some, some common things that we need to take away. From all of this. And one of them is something I've already mem- mentioned. We need to be very careful when we say this is that. Uh, could this be the start of Gog and Magog? Could be. Is it? Time will tell. One of the things that our brand of Christianity has done way too many times in the last 75, 80, 90 years is we've said, this is that. Uh, you know, we, we've just knew that Moshe Diane was the Antichrist. If you don't know who Moshe Diane uh, is, it's because you're not in your 60s, <laughs> okay? <laughs> we just knew I mean, I went to a conference about 15 years ago, and Tony Blair was the leading candidate to be the Antichrist. Remember Tony Blair? I don't think he is, but someone thought he was. I mean, we could go through, and we've we've come up with our favorite of potential Antichrist. We've come up with our favorite. You know those slides of the maps? You say, those kind of look a little old. You're right. I made those 11 years ago when there was something else going on, and I felt compelled to teach about Ezekiel 38 and 39. I made those graphs, those charts, 11 years ago because there was something that was happening. I don't think it was as significant as this, but it was close. There's always something that comes up, and we would be so wrong. And I think sometimes we shoot ourselves in the foot as evangelicals when we say, this is that. You know, I brought up Moshe Diane because, you know, I remember being in, uh, in college and going through all this stuff, and uh, we were just absolutely certain 
Because if you go to Zechariah, now don't do it now, because I want you to listen to the last four or five minutes that I've got here. Don't do it now, but if you go to Zechariah chapter 11, the very last couple verses, there's a pretty good description there of someone that might be the Antichrist. Now you're saying, I got to go look at it, okay? Just go later. But it talks about how his right eye is blinded. And we're all just sitting there saying, Moshe Dayan, Moshe Dayan. He is the general that led the Six-Day War because he wore that black patch. The problem was he had it over the wrong eye. You know, we were all, I mean, the professor was teaching and we're in it. And, you know, I mean, we're just like, wow. You know, I better get my sins confessed because I don't want to be raptured with unconfessed sin, you know, having to face Jesus that way. And then at the end of the lecture, the professor said, trouble is he was blinded in the wrong eye, you know? He's not it, you know? And he doesn't have a withered hand yet because the guy there has a blind eye and a withered hand. We get ourselves into trouble. And what, what happens to people that listen to us? It totally discounts the message of Christ because we're busy picking out the Antichrist, or picking out this or that, or this is Gog and Magog, and that's not Gog and Magog. Be very careful, okay? I mean, there's hucksters out there on those weird cable nesters that, you know, will tell you all about this thing and all about that thing, and they'd love for you to send them 35 bucks so that they can send you their, you know, latest brochure that tells you all about all the things that are going to happen in prophecy this next week, I mean, don't do that. I mean, you're going, you know, rise above it, okay? We need to be biblical, educated, thinking believers. Here's something else that I think is very, very important to remember that maybe can help you with this first one, and that is that revival, it hadn't happened yet. You know, we, we, as much as we love the Jewish people, as much as we love Israel, and as much as we're excited about the fact that, that God has unfinished biz with them, business with them, and it seems like he's doing stuff, the thing we've got to remember is the vast, vast majority of them, leaders and followers alike, they're unregenerate unbelievers who need to trust Christ, just like our nation is full of people who need to trust Christ. And so we, we've got to be, be very careful because sometimes, even though for the most part they function with the Judeo-Christian work uh, ethic, sometimes because they are sinners, unregenerate sinners, they may not always function properly, in a godly way, in a biblical way. Now, with that said, I mean, in this situation in particular, at least the news I'm watching, uh, they're clearly on the side of good and the other side is evil. The stuff that Hamas is doing is just horrific, terrible, totally violating all the, the common sense things that come out of a just war theory. You know, the righteousness of, of a nation defending itself. Hamas has just totally abandoned that, and that's because they don't come at life with the Judeo-Christian ethic. 
They're coming at it from another worldview. But you got to remember, we're dealing and, and, and kind of being supportive of unbelievers who are being guided by the Lord in what may be the fulfillment of his prophecy. It's kind of a precarious situation we're in because we're watching, and it'd be so easy to, to you know, sit and say, well, I hope this happens, and I hope that happens, and I hope this other thing happens, and, and it's like we want to assist God in making that stuff happen. But we're, we're just supposed to kind of sit back and watch how God happens. I mean, like I said, I mean, shoot, if, if, if God in his divine providence wanted them rescattered for another 500 years, that's his business. And I, as I'm watching it, need to, to be wise. Am I supposed to be pro-Israel? Absolutely. Lots of reasons why we should be pro-Israel, but do we get in there and manipulate it? You ever interested in a book on this? Charles Colson, uh, who's now with the Lord, 20, 25 years ago wrote a book called Kingdoms in Conflict. And that's exactly what he was addressing, is how we, as Bible-believing people, function in a world when it seems like God is really moving to realign nations and bring about some of the truth that is there. But here's the last one. Truth of the matter is, we should stand with Israel. We should stand with Israel because God has used them. They are the conduit through which he is bringing about the salvation of humanity. Uh, He tapped on Abraham's shoulder 4,000 years ago and said, through you, I'm going to bless all humanity. And, And all throughout Scripture, the whole tenor is God has his hand upon these people. Do they always know it? Absolutely not. They probably don't even know it now. Do they always function as God's people? No, not always. But they are this, 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 this group that God, in a way, has placed in the driver's seat. And, and God is working through them. And, and that promise that God made to Abraham 4,000 years ago is still valid. I will bless those who bless thee, And the one who curses you, I will definitely curse. God, as his people, we need to be recognizing that special place that God has the Jewish people, Israel. So that's why we stand with them. Do we condone everything they do? No, sometimes... The best friend will come and say, that's not right. That's wrong. You're making a mistake. But we stand with them. We're supportive of them. They are the people through whom God is working to bring about that ultimate kingdom that he's promised. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you just for the privilege to be able to... uh, just think for a little bit uh, about what's going on out there. Father, such a difficult situation, and there's such tragic loss of life, brutal, horrific things happening, uh, families that have been separated, loved ones lost, 
thousands killed. And I pray, Father, that as your people, I pray we'd, uh, we'd think deeply about it. I pray, Father, we'd, we'd keep in mind that you are at work. And is this that? We don't know, but it could be. And so, Father, we want to think uh, deeply and biblically about it and respond with love and compassion. We do want to be on Israel's side because you're on Israel's side. And in the same way that sometimes you opposed them and corrected them, Father, we, we don't want to just blindly uh, support anything and everything they do because sometimes it's, it's wrong. Father, you, you are for them and we want to be for them as you bring about uh, your plan for their lives, just like you're bringing about our plan. So, Lord, I uh, thank you that we could uh, have taken this time. And I pray that today we would uh, be blessed for it. In Christ's name.